let's talk about what to expect this weekend beyond in the world of ETFs. Joining us, Dave Nadig is the Director of Research at ETF Trends. Dave, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, OJ. Appreciate it. So what's on your mind right now? What's the most exciting thing in the world of exchange-traded funds? Well, I mean, let's start with infrastructure and taxes. I mean, I think that's going to be the headline for investors here for a little while. Uh, certainly, the Biden administration is probably going to package these two things together. We're going to see an infrastructure bill. We're going to pay for that infrastructure bill with one of a number of taxes. You guys have been talking about it, too, whether that's changes in step-up basis on the estate tax, whether it's increasing the capital gains tax for the wealthiest taxpayers. All these things have people a little concerned, both about the taxes on their existing portfolio portfolios and about the opportunity to maybe take advantage of an infrastructure spend. Um, I'm not sure it's the easiest play, though. There are two big funds here that I like, NFRA, which is the FlexShares product here, uh, and uh, the Global X Fund, which is PAVE, P-A-V-E. And they take very different approaches. They're both 47 basis points. They're both about $2 billion. People love these funds. Uh, NFRA really looks on a global basis. You get exposure to things like uh, firms you might not expect, like the Deutsche Post and things like that. Mm. Uh, PAVE looks a little more familiar to a lot of investors because it has companies like John Deere uh, or Eaton Co., right, real industrials. And that's really the split between the two. If you really want that industrials play, you go for something like PAVE, you go for something like NFRA, you're really getting that sort of global reinvestment play. Interesting. So NFRA is predominantly U.S., but it does get spread around a little bit, right, where you've got exposure to a lot of different countries. Yeah, they're both global in scope. I think the big caveat I hear, I have here, OJ, is that honestly, historically, government infrastructure spending doesn't just flow right into public equities, right? And it's not supposed to. The point of global infrastructure spending is to get money into municipalities around the world to do the projects that keep countries running, that would keep the U.S. running. You know, when you go to build a bridge in a small town in western Massachusetts, where I live, that's not going to John Deere. That's going to a local contract through a local municipality, and that gets real jobs for real people who are doing that work. So it's great from an investment in the country perspective, but sometimes a little tough to play as a public equity play. Mm. Okay, so now the main difference between these two, in addition to what you're saying, I mean, to look at it by sector, I'm just kind of looking at the sector breakdown right now. It looks like, uh, to your point, PAVE is kind of this more pure sort of uh, industrial play, whereas you've got a little bit of a mixed kind of sector exposure uh, in NFRA. And right now, that industrial bid seems to be what's been driving a little bit more of the market action to the upside. Yeah, and this is a little bit of, you know, in, you know we always talk about this, investor psychology is almost as important in fundament as fundamentals. You know, people have to be wanting a stock. It doesn't just have to be a good stock. Sure. And, and I think people are looking at things like a John Deere or an Eaton, these big industrials that people know as, as sort of logical plays, even though the economics may not make sense. I think if you're thinking longer term, the diversity you can see in something like NFRA, which picks up things like telecom infrastructure spend, which are gonna be huge, I, I think that may be a better long-term play. If you're just trying to catch a bit on investor psychology, PAVE may be the order of the day. Okay. Hey, Dave, kind of bouncing around from subjects here, as you mentioned, taxes potentially becoming a story. A lot of this has been building up uh, over the last week and a half. Uh, I guess ETFs as a whole, there are areas here where you can have some tax advantage. Does that depend on what you're invested in? Or how do you think about how the demand for funds might shift based on what could happen in tax law? 
Well, we're hearing from financial advisors that this is the big transition year. They're trying to position their portfolio so that when we do face a, a worse tax regime for a wealthy investor, they're already well positioned to not have to worry about cap gains. Uh, and that really means ETFs. You know, in 2020, only 70 ETFs even distributed a capital gain at all. Almost all of that was just big bond funds that frankly didn't get enough redemptions to wash away some of those embedded gains because they have to roll off some of those bonds as they start to mature. Uh, so that's sort of an inevitable thing that happens in big bond funds. But in the core equity space, virtually no ETFs paid any capital gains. That's why we're in the midst of, of frankly, an absolutely bananas year on ETF flows. We're up to about 250 billion already just in the first quarter, putting us on track for a trillion dollar year. I'm not sure wow. we're going to get there, but you know, last last week's was 75 billion by itself. That's wild. So it's getting a huge amount of uh, demand, even as we've had a little bit of chop in some people's favorites kind of growth funds, but not our focus today. Dave, let's talk about some of the other end with the momentum that's been working lately, which this year has been about reopening themes. I've been wondering where the back ETF is, right? Or like the the, the uh, go out, or like where is the reopen? What's the best way to get exposure to this? I mean, I know there's airlines. We talk about away. Am I missing anything for someone who just wants to place a big bet on back to normal? Well, the big bet on back to normal would frankly just be back into the market, right? I mean, we've seen the rally already in things like travel and leisure. We've seen the rally in energy, although that obviously pulled back a little bit in parts of last week. So I think a lot of those reopened trades, frankly, they've already been expressed. I think the bigger concern, honestly, I'm a little bit of a contrarian to what you're talking about, OJ. I think a lot of these work from home stocks have now been oversold. Like we've had some big pullbacks in some of these big names like a Zoom, for instance. Uh, and I think that we're, ex we're exaggerating how much we think we're going to reopen, except for perhaps some, perhaps some of that travel and leisure. You know, I certainly know plenty of folks who've now been vaccinated and they're booking those vacations. So that's definitely real. Um, but I think that really means just reinvesting in the core economy. Okay. So we've been looking at the gains, some of the trends. We're looking at the away ETF right now, but you're saying the stuff on the other end that's gotten beat up. I mean, are, we've been talking about some of the favorites that are down, like the ARC flagships and such. I mean, uh, what do you see in terms of how folks have reacted to that? Are flows going in, coming out when we see some of these favorites start to roll over? Yeah, I, I, the reality is, uh, you know, funds that that are really hot money funds, where we, you know, there's a lot of headline on them, like ARKK, for instance. Historically, what we'd expect to see is, yes, some of that money will flow out on every downturn, but that money tends to be stickier than you think it is. And I think the kind of transparency we're seeing out of the ETF industry really helps people stay invested, right? If you believed the core investment thesis from the folks at ARC, nothing's changed there. You may disagree with an individual price target here or there, but what you're doing there is hunting for innovation. And if you like the way ARC's doing it, nothing in the last couple of weeks should have changed your mind. Okay. All right. This morning, we're getting a little lift in it thanks to the Tesla move. Hey, Dave, uh, the other story that's been percolating again, I saw some more applications for the good old Bitcoin uh, potential. What's the status? Are we moving towards it? I mean, we've got like all the old school guys on Wall Street now embracing what? it. And so Scaramucci too, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we are headed towards one. Uh, you know, we had the one in Toronto, a BTCC approved uh, just a few weeks ago. To, to my mind, that set the clock on the US, right? We tend to follow what Toronto does by about six to 12 months. I'm saying sometime this fall is when I think we'll see an approval 
But we've got a bit of a problem now. The SEC's made this a horse race. We've got a bunch of filings in. They hate making winners. The SEC hates making one person a monopoly. So I suspect what we'll see is what we saw with non-transparent active. They'll come out with some guidance to the people who filed about what a Bitcoin ETF needs to look like. Everybody will get a chance to refile to match those parameters, and then it'll be off to the races. So I think you know, towards the end of this year is still probably the best bet. Okay, right now the grayscale, the GBTC, just walk me through that again, Dave. The status of how much we're paying, like per Bitcoin, there, yeah. whatever. Yeah, GBTC, you know, I give these guys credit for creating a really innovative product, but people really need to know that the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust is not an ETF. There is no way for the Bitcoin to come out of it. It's a little bit of a roach motel. Bitcoin goes in, but Bitcoin doesn't come out. What that means is now that we've got all of these other ways of getting exposure, we're going to see it trade to discounts. When people want to sell their GBTC, there's no way to get that trading price back in line with fair value. So I think GBTC is a bit of a tough play right now. And most investors, frankly, have another way of getting exposure somewhere out there, whether they're you know, getting it in a brokerage account or they're trading in Toronto, or they're just frankly opening up a Coinbase account and getting Bitcoin directly. So if you're dying for an ETF, I'd hang out and wait for one. I wouldn't be plowing into GBTC hoping that that discount's going to collapse. Okay. And Dave, thanks for the thoughts here. Appreciate you joining us back here on the show. Thanks for having me. Dave Nadig is the Director of Research at ETF Trends.